0: Hi! Welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. The Lord is here, right? He's here with us this morning. And um, and it's interesting because I can tell he's here so much because when, when Abby and, and um, Deji both gave those words, they were both things that God has been just placing on my heart this week when I was preparing this and the first one being the mercy of God and God showed me something really bizarre this week in in the word and it was from Genesis 5 where you have Enoch and and Abby did this little study of Enoch when um, during the intercession week um, when we were doing the church fast and there's that weird verse in Jude which talks about Jude said about the you know the um, God coming to judge and um, it says he prophesied about God coming to judge. And, and that, really interested, that really interested me. And then there's the, obviously the bit which um, is in Genesis 5, which says that Enoch walked with God. You know, and after 65 years, Enoch had a son called Methuselah. And he walked with God, and then God took him away. And, it, and the Lord showed me um, this week that actually Enoch, I think, had some sort of covenant with God. And the covenant was this... It was, you're going to bring judgment, Lord, but it's not going to be in my lifetime, and it's not going to be in the lifetime of my son either. And you see, the word, the word Methuselah, the name, means his death shall bring. And so it was kind of like, you know, Enoch walked another 300 years with God, and then God took him away. And then another nearly 1,700 more years passed before God, before God judged. And it was literally the year that Methuselah died that the, that the flood came. So just one person's prayer, you say, you know, James 5, 16 says that the, um, the, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. So Enoch's prayer was so powerful and so effective that for a thousand years God withheld his judgment. Isn't that kind of an extraordinary thing? So when we think about the mercy of God, I just thought, wow, that, that Enoch had just this crazy relationship with, with, with God. That he walked with him so closely that he could, he could say, not in my lifetime, Lord, not in my son's lifetime, Lord. And then it was only in his great-grandson's lifetime. So that's an amazing thing. So I wanted to start there. Um, but actually, I'm going to talk about something different, which is about sonship again. Yeah, I'm David, just like the other David. I don't have the struggle that David had about his name. I am just the beloved. Yeah. <laughs> If I start to sing, there's two ways to empty this place. Press the fire alarm or get me singing, right? And so, so um, I'm not going to start to sing. You'll be glad to know. No, no, no. Seriously not, Des. Seriously not. But I know I'm a son, you know, and I know I'm beloved, yeah. And there's a, the verse I want to speak about today, and, and I'm going to get there in, a, in the end, is actually from Luke 15, and it's Luke 15, 31. And, and it's when we have the, the end of the story of the prodigal son, when the elder son is talking to the father, and the father says, Son, you are with me, and all that is mine is yours. Son, you are with me, and all that is mine is yours. And our inheritance, as believers, is so good and it's better than we can think, and it's better than we can imagine. And we can pull on it today. We can pull on it um, this morning. I think we have been pulling on it this morning as we've been in prayer to him. So every time we pray, your, our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. What we're actually doing is we're declaring, we're declaring kingdom come, you know, your will be done over our situations over this earth and we say as it is in heaven so we're, we're pulling down from heaven his plans and purposes for our situation for this world so so today I want to think about drawing down from heaven what he has for us a little bit and but before I kind of get to that point I just want to talk again about sonship and I try to avoid this because you know, I didn't really want to particularly, but I felt the Lord come back bring it back to me again and again and again. And that's because it's so important that we see ourselves as sons and daughters, because and the reason it's is sons in this the passage I'm gonna look at is because a son in that time was the one who inherited. And you can only inherit if you're a son. You can't inherit as a slave, you can only inherit as a son. Okay. So Galatians 3:26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So we're in Christ, we're sons, of, we're sons and daughters, and this passage says sons because of this analogy of inheritance, which Paul is going to go on to talk about, and I'm going to be a bit of a rebel here, because I'm going to actually, I'm going to actually um, preach from the NIV today, sorry pastor, I know, it's, it's, it's dreadful, but... Um, <laughs> But it just brings a kind of simplicity to this passage that I just wanted this morning. Um, So I apologize in advance. So we're going to look at Galatians 4 1 to 7, and I'm going to read it from the NIV. Um, And it makes the passage really simple, as I say. Paul says this He says, What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So if you if you look at that passage, Paul basically tells talks to the Galatian Christians of their past being slaves, their present being sons, and their futures being heirs. And it's no difference with us. So I want to start off thinking about that thing of slavery, because it's good to remember, in a sense, what we once were. And verse one to three, verses one to three talks about that. The church Paul writes through, let's give you a little bit of background, had started their faith walk well. He established that church in Galatia, but they were in danger of substituting their faith for a kind of legalism, and it was because some Jewish Christians had kind of come in and they would started to say, you know, maybe you should be circumcised in order to be able to follow Jesus really properly. Um, so this kind of legalism had kind of come in and corrupted the message in pl- place of faith. And in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul refers to their Roman culture to to demonstrate the reality of the spiritual situation because in Roman culture, sons had less rights than even low servants until they reached a certain age. So although one day they would reach a certain age, until then, they had no no real rights. Verse 3 compares this situation to to Christians, whether, whether Jews or Gentiles, who he asserts previously were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. That's what the NIV calls it. And the word basic principles here is the Greek word storkion, if I pronounce it right. Um, and um, it's strongs. You know, there's a, you all know Blue Less Bible, strongs. 47, 47. <laughs> storkion. <am>. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the guy told me anyway. So... It's Apparently it's a bit like saying the ABC of something, the basic fundamental elements of something, that which it's made up from. So without Christ the Galatians were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. And it's interesting because Paul uses this same term, but in Colossians twice as well. In Colossians 2.8, when he says, see to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit, idle fancies and plain nonsense, following human tradition, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world, just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of God of Christ the words translated rudimentary and elemental teachings is the same stock I am Paul pool um, that Paul um, uses and also Colossians two twenty. if you have died with Christ to material things of looking at to material ways of looking at things and have escaped from the world's crude and elemental notions and teachings of externalism why do you still live why do you live as as if you still belong to the world. And again, crude and elemental notions and teachings of externalism. So it's the position, this word means the position of humanity without God, caught in fatalism, delusion, despair, and attempting all sorts of notions and ideas and philosophies to overcome their situation, but with no reference to God. And that's where we all were before we met Jesus, right? So it's an outlook which focuses on the outward material aspect, as as the Amplified says, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world. And I was talking with Joel, my son, on Friday about one of these ideas or principles that are part of our current culture. It's this idea of just be yourself. Have you heard that? This phrase, just be yourself, you know? It's a kind of you know, similar thing to this kind of karma that we have in our, in our culture, this idea of, you know, that to improve our circumstances we, it's up to us and it's, it's up to us to do good in order to receive good and if we do bad we're going to receive bad and that sort of thing, that's the kind of karma of the world, now that's the same sort of thing that Paul talks about in this passage, so the basic principles of the world is enslavement, right and this was our, every one of, our, every one of us had that had that experience in a sense and were under that influence of the basic principle of the world and that until we met Jesus and had faith in him and verse four to five tells us how we're changed how that, that transaction took place but, but when the time had fully come God sent his son verse five to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons and verse seven so you are no longer a slave but a son and since you are a son God has made you also an heir. So our past is slavery, our present sonship, and our future is inheritance. Jesus brought us back out of slavery. That was his whole whole life's work coming to this world, was to buy us out of slavery so that we could become sons in him, that we could have that same relationship to the father that he had because he paid for us to become sons. That's a kind of mind-blowing thing, right? That we can have that same relationship that he has with the father because we're, we're adopted as sons. And this is a, a concept Paul uses because in Roman times, the way, it, the way it worked was if a, if, if a um, Roman, like a wealthy Roman family, didn't have any kids or didn't have a son, they, they, would, they would actually buy back, they would redeem one of their slaves so that they would be, have the full rights of a son. So, so essentially they'd buy them out of slavery into sonship. And that's what Paul says that Jesus has done to us. And obviously a slave who's bought out of, out of slavery would never want to go back to being a slave, having become a son. And he could never have gone back to being a slave, having become a son, because he was now, he was now a son. And the reason that, that wealthy Roman couples would do this would be so that, they could, so that the person would inherit Their property and their estate. So that is what Paul uses here in in this passage in Galatians. Paul reminds the Galatians of this because they were in danger of becoming enslaved again through legalistic practices and legalistic and religious practices always displace sonship and replace them with slavery. Always, always, always. And what I like about this morning is that we didn't have worship how it normally was. We don't have to be in a pattern of doing things just just because it should be like that, You know, because we need to be responding to his spirit always. But relationship becomes so quickly obscured by religion and we may think, even at CCF that we could be beyond this, but it 's so insidious that we need to be really careful you know and think about it right the 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 um example in a sense in in the book of Galatians is that of of Paul who actually rebuked the apostle Peter you know Can, can you imagine that? you know Paul had, the, had 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 never been with Jesus in in the physical sense, you know? But Peter was like one of Jesus' closest disciples, and yet Paul rebuked Peter. And that was because Peter, yes, the Peter, the very same Peter who opened up the whole church to Gentiles, you know, when the sheet came down in the vision and, and the Lord said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. That same Peter, when when some Jewish believers came along, decided just to eat with them and not with the and not with the Gentile believers. And um, so so that's how insidious legalism is. And so we need to be so daily conscious of our sonship and the goodness and the love of the Father for us individually and corporately that we're not deceived. One of my favorite, one of my favorite speakers is a guy called Leif Hetland. I was talking to um, Gosher about him earlier. Leif Hetland's a great pastor. And he says, the problem with deception is that it's very deceiving. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> you know. And, try and persuade somebody that they're deceived, right? It's really quite difficult, <laughs> humanly speaking. So it's the spirit of sonship in our hearts who calls out Ab- Abba Father. That's what verse six says. And he keeps us from deception, Holy Spirit in us. And Paul reminds us also of our future and that we're heirs. We're gonna inherit. Um, a slave never will never ever inherit anything. However hard they, however hard they work, it's always gonna be works. And they're never going to inherit, but a son inherits. And that's what Paul reminds them and reminds us. And when we think about inheritance, you know we might think about that verse 1, Peter 1:4, 1 which says that our inheritance is kept in heaven for us, and that's so good. that's definitely our future. But this morning I want to think about inheritance in a slightly different way, which is about having, in a, in a sense, bringing a deposit from our inheritance now. Because his provision now for us opens up our future inheritance. There's a relationship between what, how, how he brings us provision now that affects how we will inherit when, when we get to heaven. There'll be more reward in heaven as a result of more of his provision for us. So the father's happy for us to ask for our inheritance now and so thinking about the parable of the prodigal son it's interesting that Jesus never condemns in that parable there's never any condemnation for the younger son asking for his inheritance although it would have been scandalous at the time obviously in that culture and in many cultures and the story in in that in that story if you remember the father divides the inheritance between them and we know, we know this parable as the prodigal son, but, you know, prodig- I mean, when, when do you use the word prodigal apart from in this, in this context? I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I'd never hear anyone, oh, he's a, unless, unless someone's using religious language, they never use the word prodigal, right? Um, so I wondered what, it, what prodigal actually meant, so I looked it up. The dictionary definition said this, spending money or using resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. And we know that the younger son is wastefully extravagant. He blows the inheritance in a spectacular fashion. But what I want to think about this morning is the older son. You know, what, what of the older son? I think, as believers, we're more likely to slip into the position of the older son than the younger son. And I, what I would say is that the older son is equally wasteful. Let me explain. Deuteronomy 17, 21 tells us that the older son would have been given double that of the younger, the younger son. And in verse 12, it says in, in, in Jesus' story that the, in the parable, the father divides up the estate between them. But let's look at the attitude of the older son. While we see the younger son practicing his make me like one of your hired servants speech, speeches, you know, as he's on the way back to the father, he's like, I'm going you know, to go and say, make me like one of your hired servants the the older son says, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. So the older son demonstrates to us this thing of proximity without relationship. We can have proximity without relationship. You know. It's possible to be in church, it's possible to use all the right the right language and yet fail to have that daily real relationship with Jesus. And that and, and that leads from re- that attitude can so easily become go from relationship to legalism into slavery you know it can be true of individuals and therefore as individuals are make up the whole church it can become true in whole churches think about the Pentecostal movement for example I I discovered this years ago I'd never really been to a Pentecostal church you know and um I remember one of one of my colleagues invited this guy in for an assembly and this guy came in and I was like really looking forward to it and then he he spoke from the old King James version to this bunch of teenagers they were just completely baffled i mean really really baffled you know and 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 i was a bit a little bit disappointed and i just thought you know, i i just thought you know think about how far the pentecostal movement has come since William Seymour to, to that point of like, you know, th- these and thou's and therefore's and, you know, how we should dress and, you know, it can so easily slide that way, you know, and that's, when, that's why when I, when I meet people, I, I meet people quite often, you know, who say, oh, Dave, where are you, church? Where are you going to church now? I never, I never say anything like, oh, I go to a Pentecostal church. I say, I go to a church that loves Jesus. I go to a church that loves his word and loves his spirit because people just want to pigeonhole you you know they just want to pigeonhole you put you in and then you see when they put once you once you're pigeonholed you can be ignored quite easily right it's like let's just pigeonhole them you know we know that they're an anglican they do this that like this or we know that they're a catholic they do this like this or you know those methodists they're they're like that you know but we're a church that loves jesus we love his word we love his spirit And we see this, this kind of situation that the older son has, this, this attitude where there's a lack of thankfulness and it brings this kind of entitlement and then a sense of resentment. And you know, entitlement is something I absolutely hate. You know, entitlement is this idea that we, we're somehow in our own strength, worthy of something, we deserve something, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like a, it's like a kind of cancer that seeps um, into things and makes it really impossible, you know, to, um, to live, you know, with gratitude. Thankfulness is the opposite of gratitude, right? Thankfulness brings abundance, incidentally, you know. It says that Jesus gave thanks... You know, he broke the loaves and he gave it to the people, right? It's quite simple. Thankfulness brings so much abundance. But but, but um, entitlement and then resentment. The older brother says to the, says to the father, you never gave me so much as a kid goat that I might revel and feast and be happy and make merry with my friends. And it's interesting to note, that attitude shift from God to self in that, in that passage, the attitude shift from being with the father to being about it being the older brother's ambitions become about self. And then they become about, you know, all I wanted was a baby goat. You know, all I wanted was a baby goat. And in a sense, the baby goat kind of got in the way of the father's ambition for him. You know, the father's context all he all this guy saw was, so I'm slaving away, and all I want is a baby goat. In a sense, a baby goat represents kind of selfish ambition in, in, in my in my eyes, you know, and sometimes we have selfish ambitions to do something. We just want that baby goat, and it becomes our fixation. We fixate on something particular. And from, I, I, I had this quite a while ago because I don't know how many of you know, but I, I trained as an artist, you know, I worked as an artist for a bit, and then it was like, over time, the Lord said, you've you just got to leave that. You've just got to give it up. So I had to sacrifice my baby goat. Uh, and in doing so, do you know what? I, I removed a huge amount of frustration from my life, because it was actually quite a lot about self for me, that was. Okay. I just want to give you a quick story of somebody else who sacrificed her baby goat. And that was one of my colleagues. I have a colleague who's just, she's just left... Um, and she's now doing her, her own thing. And this woman wanted to be an actor and she did quite a lot of acting. She, she had a, the odd bit in EastEnders and here and there. And um, then she was offered the part of a, of a um, lead role in a, in a soap opera. And the person she, she was going to play, she didn't agree with their lifestyle and so she turned it down. Okay. And then the acting work seemed to be kind of Seemed to dry up, and not long after that, her mum saw an advert in the paper saying, you know, you know, that we needed a somebody to work in our office, uh, in the school office. So her mum pointed this advert out to her, and and she came here, and she worked really diligently for us for the last kind of 12 years or so, and part time. And during this time, about four years ago, she decided to start her own production company, and so she, she, she. Started her own production company with a friend of hers, and she um, produced a short film with Joan Collins in, and it was quite well received. And then she got some funding together to make a to make a um, feature film, and um, it was released late last year. And the cool thing was that you know, having been through all those years of kind of, in a sense, pushing on doors, nothing really happening. God opened up an opportunity for her with that film, and it was—it received five five Bafta um, nominations. So she got five Bafta nominations, and her phone went mental as you know. Netflix were phoning her up, Amazon were phoning her up, et cetera. Et cetera. So we had to say goodbye to her, and we we um, we um, let her go with our blessing. But the thing is that I know so you know she won't tell this to many people, but I know so so much about her her past her story that i know that she sacrificed her baby goat you know she she got rid of that little selfish ambition she said lord actually i'm going to i'm going to um you know do things your way and he's given back to her you know so good the the older brother in the prodigal son It says he was busy slaving away. That's how he saw it, and he hadn't realised the alternative to to the goat. And that's really the resources of the father. The father says to him, verse 31, "Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours." The son had everything belonging to the father, and yet he failed to use it. He had, he was there every day, day in day out. He had everything that the father had. Everything was his. His inheritance, his double portion that he was given as the elder son. And yet it remained untouched. It remained completely untouched. And this verse is something I've been meditating on for the last three years or so when the Holy Spirit kind of highlighted it to me. You know, you know those times, those kind of Rhema words where you look at the word and the Holy Spirit like pulls a highlighter across it? And it was this Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Charles Spurgeon said this he said all that is in Christ is meant for all believers and therefore all believers may have all that is in Christ who is all in all we should not be content with pence when he endows us with pounds no child of God could ever say, yet ever yet say I have taken all that God can give me and I'm still wanting more God is God all-sufficient is our heritage and he more than fills our deepest need and our highest aspiration. I'll repeat that. Okay All, all that is in Christ is meant for all believers and therefore all believers may have all that is in Christ who is all in all. We should not be content with pence when he endows us with pounds. No child of God could ever yet say I have taken all that God has given me and i'm still wanting more can give me and i'm still wanting more god god all sufficient is our heritage and he more than fills our deepest need and our highest aspiration so the promise of presence the presence of the father and supply and abundance and when we rest in his presence as as sons and daughters with the father his supply is lavish he's abundant and this verse has been one that's traveled with me the last three years as as I've um, been involved in, in this school building and this school building being built, because this school building has only just been built, you know, as you know. And Thames in a sense and CCF shared quite similar stories in some ways, I think.
1: You know, really quite a 2, I remember I talked to Steven and he said in three to four years we're going to have a new building. Okay, that was in 2003. And then the initial plan fell through, the site wasn't right. in time. And quite a few years passed. And then in 2011, 2012, we put together a proposal for a new program, an old site. Okay, an architect, wrote out the concept. She, um, with some violence and such, what do we do with any of our, our things? Although it was quite difficult at times to run a private school in the middle of, the, middle of the estate. We used to joke, for quite a couple of years we used to joke that every time we had a parent's team, we'd definitely see something happen on that estate. Every single time. And, and every time, so, so I remember, where I was born those another time it was quite humorous but, um, you know you're trying to persuade parents to- of these guys from S019 with all their kids together, you know, and one of them is breaking the others, and they're all there their guns, and I'm like, this is going to be great when our parents arrive at the same time, right? <laughs> and, so, and so I kind of, <laughs> you better believe it, right? So I kind of when I went up to the guy who was the boss and I was like, excuse me, morning, it's probably going to be. You know, we had to go to water didn't
0: so this whole kind of time came
1: past 2012, the council said Don't, you, you can't move you, know, you, can't, you can't have to be regenerated we won't move you as part of regeneration you, know, so you can't move at this point so it took us 5 years of negotiations to settle on this site.
0: now it's till about 2017 and then we started actual And it was intense throughout, I can tell you, there were some crazy things happening, it was super complex, you know, because it's like Monsworth Council, Taylor Wimpy, Taylor Wimpy, she have got all these layers and layers and layers, we're not really the client, because Monsworth Council the client, because they were compulsory purchasing our building, so
1: all of this kind of stuff that Steve had to talk about. Incidentally, you have to realise Steve is the head teacher, he's got a degree, he's a head teacher with a degree in civil engineering and a PhD in management and stuff so, right. so they thought at the beginning of the negotiations with guys from the council they thought he was walkover, right. right? they were still weakness for weakness you know? um, it, was, um, it was an interesting negotiation and it was, it was difficult at times as always can be but God raised the up so that he could get this place together and then the last couple of years were lockdowns, labour shortages, in Europe, for example, because because of Brexit, and then also like procurement problems, you know, things were ordered in like June, June, November, for example. And then, in November, Steve, then, after us, his email, this email was called Joe Soss. Then the email was Joe Stops. English. just, just you know, and, you know, years old, to that, the of dad, and then he the thing, right? It's how it works. process involved, You know, that's why this is about wisdom the we need to the right? Because the Lord has a plan for the church. to be to actually as a come up, you're done. i to put it down here as I and so this I'll practice. You know, is that had by Thank you. I- See you you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free.